you would please open your Bibles to Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. It should be found on page 484 in our Pew Bibles, or 936 of the large print Pew Bibles. Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. This is a psalm for giving grateful praise. It's actually one that we have used numerous times as a call to worship and would have used it today as that, except I found the other call to worship and liked it so much for today that I said, we'll just do both. So (laughs) uh, for our Old Testament lesson, Psalm 100, before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for all of the um, all of the things today reminds us of, as far as the ways in which you work in the lives of your people. God, we thank you for this Palm Sunday, and we pray that um, that we would recognize you. And praise you for who you are, not just who we want you to be. But God, that you would give us a clearer vision this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed of who you are and your gracious and generous love for us in Jesus. And that we would live lives of praise in response. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, appropriate for Palm Sunday, John chapter 12, verses 12 to 16, which can be found on page 873 in our Pew Bibles or 1671 in the large print. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 16. It says, The next day the crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I mentioned our call to worship uh, a little bit ago, so I would like to begin by referencing it. If I can get past these chords here. I made it. I didn't even knock anything over. All right. In our call to worship, which is actually uh, taken from Psalm 63, at least the uh, the message translation there, and there was 
a line in there where it says, If we are sleepless at midnight, we spend the hours in grateful reflection. If we are sleepless at midnight, we spend the hours in grateful reflection. And that this is what follows that uh, we are praising him all the time. Now let me ask you, when you find yourself waking up in the middle of the night, is your first thought grateful reflection on all the things that God has done for you and the ways in which he has continued to care for you and provide for you? Or, when you wake up in the middle of the night, is your first thought all the worries that are consuming you and the reasons you have to fear what's coming in the future? You know the, you know the song, you know, count your blessings, name them one by one. Um, there's a song from the movie White Christmas. It talks about counting your blessings and then you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. It's an interesting contrast between if you wake up in the middle of the night and you find it hard to get back to sleep. Which one do you think, just from a practical standpoint, is your best chance of getting back to restful sleep? Reviewing all the worries and fears until you're completely worked up? Or reviewing what all God has done and who he is and the ways that he works and being able to rest and trust in him? That kind of sermon 1A. Now, on to the, today's text. Um, we have this morning actually the very end of the book of Hebrews. And we are going to read the whole uh, second half of chapter 13. It's Hebrews 13, starting with verse 15 and going on through 25. But then when we talk through this, I'm actually going to talk through it out of order. So if you do have Bibles that you can follow along with, that will probably be helpful. Um, Hebrews 13, 15 through 25, which says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for, which, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. And thus ends the book of Hebrews. Now, I said we're going to go through this kind of out of order, and here's where we'll begin. We will begin with verse 22, 
where it says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact, I have written to you quite briefly. Just so you know, if you have not been here uh, before today, this is, I believe, our 22nd sermon in the series through the book of Hebrews. Yeah. And for some of you, you're like, it's only been that. Right. And I think that's sort of how the author views it, is, you know, I've written this long letter. It's actually one of the longer letters in the whole of the New Testament. And he says, you know, bear with this. I want you to know, you know, I actually have written to you quite briefly. And it's not because it's a short letter, but it's short in comparison to the topics that he's been covering. Like I said, this is the 22nd sermon. Each one has been <clears throat> at least 20 minutes. <laughs> Some quite a bit more. And every week, I feel like we've left a lot on the cutting room floor. I mean, there is, uh, there's been much more that could be said about each one of these uh, passages because there's so much. There's so much that he's talking about. He's talking about these really big concepts of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and why we should continue to persevere and to follow and to hold on to Jesus above all else. And so he says, I want you to bear with this. I want you to bear with this. Because uh, here he's just given a list of, here are some things to do. He says, I want you to make sure that you take this in the right spirit. That you don't take these things as, okay, now you have to do these things to do these things in order to earn your salvation. That, we're way past that. That's n- nowhere in his thinking at this point. We are saved by grace alone. Grace, granting rewards apart from credit earned. But the, the things he commands now are things that God has saved us for. This is the way that life should be lived. And we were going a different way. And God has saved us from that. Saved us from our own selves and our desire to go a different way. And he said, no, this is the way to go. And so the author says, here's what I, how I want you to live as people who have received God's grace. And so he says, you know, bear with this. It's actually been quite brief. Um, some personal greetings there, uh, wanting to come see them. And then he ends it by saying, grace be with you all. Grace. Undeserved gift. There's a story that I think I have shared years ago, but it's one that I think helps us uh, with this idea of responding to the grace we have received. Uh, was back in the 1800s, a young Englishman was traveling to California in search of gold. And after he had spent several months of prospecting, he actually struck it rich, and he found gold. And so on his way home... He stops in New Orleans. Well, not long, not long into his visit, <clears throat> he comes upon a crowd of people that are all looking in the same direction. Approaching the crowd, he recognized that they had gathered for a slave auction. Now, slavery had been outlawed in England for several years, so this man's curiosity you know, drew him to watch as a person became someone else's property. He heard... Sold, just as he joined the crowd. And a middle-aged black man was taken away. Next, a beautiful young black girl was pushed up on the platform and made to walk around so everyone could see her. The miner heard vile jokes and comments that spoke of evil intentions from those around him. Men were laughing 
as their eyes remained fixed on this new item for sale. The bidding began. Within a minute, the bids surpassed what most slave owners would pay, would pay for a black girl. And as the bidding continued higher and higher, it was apparent that two men wanted her. In between the bids, they laughed about what they were going to do with her and how the other one would miss out. The miner stood silent as anger welled up within him. And finally, one man bid a price that was beyond the reach of the other. The girl looked down. The auctioneer called out, Going once. Going twice. Just before the final call, the miner yelled out a price exactly twice the previous bid. An amount that exceeded the worth of any man. The crowd laughed, thinking the miner was only joking, wishing that he could have the girl himself. The auctioneer motioned to the miner to come and show his money, and the miner opened up the bag of gold he had brought for the trip. The auctioneer shook his head in disbelief as he waved the girl over to him. The girl walked down the steps of the platform until she was eye to eye with the miner. She spat in his face. She said through clenched teeth, I hate you. The miner, without a word, wiped his face, paid the auctioneer, took the girl by the hand, and walked away from the still-laughing crowd. He seemed to be looking for something in particular as he walked up one street and down the other with the girl. And finally, he stopped in front of some sort of store, though the slave girl did not know what type of store it was. She waited outside as the dirty-faced miner went inside and started talking to an elderly man. She couldn't make out what exactly they were talking about, but at one point, the voices got louder, and she heard the store clerk say, But it's the law! It's the law! Peering in, she saw the miner pull out his bag of gold and pour all that was left of it on the table. With what seemed like a look of disgust, the clerk picked up the gold and went in a back room. He came out with a piece of paper, and both he and the miner signed it. The young girl looked away as the miner came out the door. Stretching out his hand, he said to her, Here are your manumission papers. You're free. The girl did not look up. He tried again. Here, these papers say that you are free. Take them. I hate you, the girl said, refusing to look up. Why do you make fun of me? No, listen, he pleaded. These are your freedom papers. You are a free person. The girl looked at the papers, then looked at him, then looked at the papers again. You just bought me, and now you're setting me free? That's why I bought you. I bought you to set you free. The beautiful young girl fell to her knees in front of the miner, tears streaming down her face. You bought me to set me free. You bought me to set me free, she said over and over. The miner said nothing. Clutching his muddy boots, the girl looked up at the miner and said, All I want to do is serve you, because you bought me to set me free. This is what grace looks like. Giving rewards apart from credit earned. She had done nothing, and he paid the price to pay for her freedom. And as we 
conclude the book of Hebrews, we have to go back all the way to the beginning. It doesn't just end with grace be with you all. There's been grace all the way through. And it's all because of Jesus and what he has done for us to set us free. In Hebrews chapter 1, it said, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. After sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Here Jesus is, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the one to whom all glory and honor and praise should go. And yet, he's the one who came and provided purification for sins to set us free. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He died, paying the price to set us free. And as we go through the whole rest of the book, we see that there is nothing else that even comes close to who Jesus is or what he has done for us out of sheer grace. And so just like the girl in the story said, all I want to do is serve you because you bought me to set me free. That, I believe, is how the author of the Hebrews is concluding his letter. I think that's where all the exhortations come in. It's not do these things so that he will set you free. It is now that you know what it means to be set free. Live as free people. Remember who he is and what he's done for you and let your lives be lives that reflect that change. Let your lives display his glory and praise his name. And so, skipping back up now to where we began, in Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. He's been talking to these people, these Hebrew people, who were considering the possibility of turning away from Jesus because Jesus was a sure way to persecution. And they thought, well, maybe if we just turn away from Jesus, we can still go back to the temple. We can go back to the sacrifices. And they said, no, that's done with. Jesus is the way to God. And if you are going to be a people who don't hide from that, but who openly profess his name, then what comes from that is a sacrifice, but it's not the sacrifice of animals. It's the sacrifice of our lives that issues forth praise. That this praise to God is the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. When we say, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. When we say Jesus is the way to God the Father. And that he is the one who has died to set us free. The natural byproduct of that is that we will continue to praise him for who he is and what he's done for us. It's the fruit of lips. And it says that is the kind of sacrifice that we should be offering. But it says, but that's not all. So don't forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. You know, James has a lot to say about people who say one thing and do another. 
who say we worship God, say we believe in Jesus, and yet we don't actually live like we believe in God and that we trust in Jesus. And so it says, if you're going to be praising God for who he is and what he's done for, you, for us, we need to be living as people who have been set free to do good and to share with others. Then he says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Just have confidence in your leaders to submit to their authority. I want you to notice the second half of that sentence. Because the emphasis here is actually on who the leaders are and why it is uh, they should be submitted to and have confidence in. And it doesn't say, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they are always right. Because they're not. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they're better than you. Nope. But it's because, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. And the, really the image that's in view here is a shepherd with kind of a, an under-shepherd watching the sheep for them while they are away. And in 1 Peter 5, he uses the same kind of, uh, same kind of language talking to the elders to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who will also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Sound familiar? Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Shepherds but under the chief shepherd, the one who watches over all. And so it says, knowing that your leaders will be held accountable, you can submit to them as we all submit to Jesus. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. If you've ever been in a leadership position and you know, a parent in a household, for example, and you say, could you please take out the trash? Nope. Well, the trash is still going out, but now this is going to be much more unpleasant. Can I work, work with the system here? Um, But he also says in verse 18, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. In other words, as one of the leaders he's talking about, pray for us. Anyone who's in a leadership position, this is not, it doesn't say just pastors or elders. If you are a pastor, if you are an elder, if you are a Sunday school teacher, if you are a small group leader, if you are uh, leading any of a variety of ministries within the church, I hope, I hope that you want people to be praying for you in that position and that you would responsibly 
understand your position under the authority of Jesus as you lead people in the way of Jesus. I actually have a pastor friend who just this morning texted me out of the blue. He does this from time to time. So I just want you to know I'm praying for you this morning as you share God's word to your people. Thank you. (laughs) Please do. Pray for all of your leaders, myself included. And then we end appropriately with the benediction. When he says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. The themes that have gone through this entire book are kind of tied up neatly, bow on top, right here in in these verses. We see the God of peace. We see the blood of the eternal covenant. From the very beginning, things went wrong, and God said, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to get my people back. And he did so through this eternal covenant, but it was also through the blood of Jesus. It was his death on the cross that made that happen. And he brought him back from the dead, showing that Jesus' blood was effective to bring us back to God, and that he has undone death itself. And so in this one long sentence, he says, May that same God who did all of that, who did all of that, giving us exactly what we needed when there was nothing we could do to do it on our own, may that same God equip you with everything good for doing his will. You probably heard the expression before, God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. If not, now you have. The saying is this. It means this. God doesn't look around the world and say, okay, I need somebody who's really good at the following things and is already ready to go, and then I'm going to get them and I'm going to tell them what to do because they are the right person for the job. No, it says, basically, that God says, here's what I want you to do. And Moses says, I can't go talk to Pharaoh. I can't even speak well. And he says, that's all right. I'm with you. Jeremiah, I can't do that. I'm too young. It's all right. I'm with you. And we all have our excuses when God says, I want you to go tell people about Jesus. I want you to live lives of praise. I want you to share with you. I can't do that. Who do you think I am? (laughs) It doesn't matter. What matters is who I am, and I am with you, and I will give you what you need. When Jesus sent the disciples out, we've talked about this several times over the past few weeks, when Jesus sent the disciples out to preach and to teach and to heal and to cast out demons, he said, here's what I want you to take with you. Nothing. (laughs) Don't take anything with you, because God will give you what you need as you go. And so, they walked out trusting Jesus, trusting that God would provide what they needed as they lived lives obeying the calling that he had on their lives. And so that's what this author here is saying to all of us, you know, may the same God who gives us what we need, who's given us the thing we needed most of all in Jesus, may he give us the things we need to do the things he's given us to do. 
which is doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why does Jesus get all the glory? If we go out and do something amazing and say, you know, Jesus says, go and tell everybody about me. And so we go and we make a plan and we go tell every single person in the world about Jesus. And we do it like this week. Pretty good. Do we then get to sit back and go, yeah, we're awesome. Look what we just did. Answer? Nope. (laughs) So Jesus says, go and tell everybody about me, and then we do it? It's because of him working in us, inspiring us to do it, giving us what we need to do it, giving us uh, the strength to do it, and allowing that message to get out. And so at the end, after going through it, we don't get to say, man, we're awesome. Look what we just did. Instead, we say, wow, God is amazing. Look at what Jesus just did in and through us to do the things that he's calling us to do. What this means is fear and excuses are out the window because it's God that's working in us to do the things he's called us to do. And we know that we can trust him because of what he's already done in Jesus. As we are living lives of praise, it's not the same as the people on Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding into town. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna meaning save us. Save us. You're the one that God has sent to save us from those mean Romans. We have a different perspective now. It said even the disciples didn't really understand what all was going on that day. Not until after Jesus raised from the dead. But we are living as those who can look back and see what Jesus has done. And as we read through the whole letter of Hebrews, by the way, I would encourage you now that we are at the end of that book to go back through and try to find like an hour or, or so, depending on how quickly you read, to try to read through the entire book in one sitting. While it's still somewhat fresh. And see what all you can remember as we have gone through this. The things that God has been teaching you through each of these passages. And how we can live lives of praise. How we can live as people of faith who are following Jesus, who are trusting him above all else. And who are being equipped to do what he saved us to do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.